Today's episode of the JJ Redick Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and LA. And they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants and business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. That's theringer.com slash WCK. We're trying to raise $250,000. And if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. Welcome to this week's episode of the JJ Reddick Podcast with Tommy Alter. Tommy, what's good, man? We're back. We are back after a two-week hiatus, which featured me cutting my hair off. Yeah. I also gave my son Kai a nice buzz. It looks good. Does it? I mean, it's probably a six and a half out of ten, which is fine. I did it in the yard, actually. I, I, I did it with no mirror in the yard, and I did a four up top and a two on the sides. And then my wife told me that I had missed a bunch of spots in the back. So then I used a mirror and I was going over it and I had accidentally basically pushed the guard forward and it got too, I just basically had to do a one all the way through. Had you ever done it before? I buzzed my own head. I gave myself my own haircut till like the age of 20, (laughs) like from age 13 to 20. It's a great way to save money. The problem with my hair though is like when it gets longer, it just, it becomes... Just unmanageable. Unkempt yeah. is the word. Yeah. So I just, I had to Kai, take it Kai's off. Hair, Kai's hair looks great. Kai's looks better than yours. Well, Kai also has a better hairline than me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is helpful. How, how long are you going to grow the beard? Um, I'm, I don't know. We'll, we'll just, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. How long is anything going to happen? What is I time? Think, what I is time should, at this I point? Think you, <laughs> I think you should keep the beard. I think you should do a no shave May and see where you're at on June 1st. I think you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. You're not doing any... Any yeah. fancy endorsement shoots? You're not going to be on the court that you know but, about. That you, you know might, about. You might as well. You might as well. And honestly, it might look good, and you just keep it. We'll see. We've got a really fun guest today. Uh, it's Seth Curry uh, of the Dallas Mavericks, former Duke guard, who's really found a, a nice uh, niche and, and role uh, in the NBA. And uh, we have a lot to to chat with him about. No power rankings this week, but we do have an episode coming Monday. Coming Monday with the director of uh, The Last Dance, Jason Hare, the uh, amazing Michael Jordan doc. Yes. So, so, we'll, so that will be coming out after that comes out on Sunday night. So Monday morning. So we'll we'll have uh, we'll be all caught up with him through episode eight. Jordan doc has been amazing. I've actually got to watch episodes five and six right now. So let's get to Seth. Here's Seth Curry of the Dallas Mavericks. Let's welcome this week's guest, uh, Seth Curry of the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Seth, thanks for coming on the pod, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. 
I see in the background, it looks like you have some, some gym equipment. Uh, obligatory yeah. first question is just what's, <laughs> what's going on with, uh, your, your quarantine and, and, and where does that stand in relation to, uh, the practice facilities opening up here, uh, in the next few days? I mean, for us here, I mean, in Texas, around the area, it's kind of opened up, like I was, I was saying earlier, but I mean, they're not letting us in our practice facility here for, they said at least another couple of weeks. So I'm um, trying to stay ready at home, trying to stay in some type of shape, get on the Peloton bike every day, um, get some workouts in my little makeshift gym I got here at home. So I'm trying to be creative. Have you had uh, access to a court? Actually, I've been going outside. So I got like a friend who I, who I met recently who has a huge backyard with a full court outside. So I go out there two or three times a week and get my own little individual workouts in uh, with the wind blowing. It's, it's, it's not... It's not ideal, obviously, but I get a few wrist flicks in, keep my J right, and feel like I'm getting a, a skill workout in. I think for me, that's been the only thing really keeping me sane is that I've had access to a gym, and okay. and that a, that hour that I go and get shots up, yeah, it, it's just it's it's like everything right now. Yeah, those first those first two weeks, that's why I was going crazy. Like, I, oh, yeah. I was getting my oh yeah, I was getting my cardio in, but I just couldn't get a ball. Like it was weird. Did you, did you come right back to Dallas? Like, what was your timeline? Like once they shut everything down? Yeah. So we were actually the last game that was ever played this year. Like they canceled the season while we were in the fourth quarter of our, our last game. So, um, I was actually injured. So I knew the, the season had been suspended while we were still playing. And I told a couple of guys on the bench, but, um, so we were at home and I just went home and I haven't left the house really since. Have you guys been keeping in touch? I feel like uh, with our team, at least, you know, we've had some some group t- chats. We've done a Zoom call. We actually did two Zoom calls. Um, but it's like it's almost feels a little bit, even though we're technically like still in season, it almost feels a little bit like the off season, where like the contact and the touch points are a little more sporadic than they would be under normal circumstances. Yeah, I feel like our season is. I feel like we're in off season, full yeah. mode. Like we've had one team meeting where it was basically about mental health and probably half the team was in on the meeting. Other than that, we haven't even talked really at all. So, I mean, I know not a lot of teams are doing workouts with their guys every day via Zoom. Some teams are having weekly like coaches meetings with their coaches and stuff like that on Zoom. But us personally, they're giving us a lot of space and we're just trying to, um, they send us the workout equipment. But other than that, we're, we're kind of on our own. Have you, have you talked to Mark at all? Like, has he, has he provided any sort of guidance to you guys. I know he's probably in touch with the league quite yeah. a bit and kind of knows what's going on. Cause I know he's, he's also fairly involved in, in, in business and politics. So he probably has a pretty good sense of what's going on right now. Yeah. I've talked to Mark a couple of times. I'm actually really close with his, one of his, like his right-hand guy with the map. So I talk to him pretty much every day and he's filling me on. He talks to uh, Adam silver a lot. So they give me kind of some updates here and there, but um. They don't, they don't really know anything. Like I said, I've heard, heard CP says he has the, the meetings with the Players Association and there's no answer. So, yeah. I mean, you can talk to the guy who's talked to the guy who's talked to Adam, but they don't know what they're talking about either. I have a, I have a question for both you guys. And I, I feel like obviously neither of you are going to have the specific answer, but what do you think is happening with the draft stuff? Like with the guys getting ready for the draft, basically everyone making these decisions, whether it's college kids or guys who are definitely going to go pro how do you wrap your head around that decision with everything going on yeah that's tough too i was thinking the same thing the other day like 
what are they working out? Like, cause when you apply for the draft or you enter a draft, you have like a set routine up to the draft day of what you're doing. And they're probably uh, kind of up in limbo and talking to the agents and, and trying to figure out where they're going. But it's, it's tough because you're not really, you can't really move up the draft, the draft or down the draft right now, right? Right. I think it's it, it, it goes back to what Seth just said earlier about like this has a feeling of an offseason and it really does. But in the off season, and I want to ask you about this, but in the off season, like I have a set routine and, you know, pre-draft, there's like a set number of weeks leading up to individual workouts in the combine. And then there's, you know, the interviews and there's all these things, these protocols and, and sort of these uh, criteria to meet. And even like for me, like in the off season, I can kind of map out like two days after the season ends, I map out week by week, like when I'm going to take my mini breaks, when I'm going to take my vacation, when I'm going to ramp it up, when I'm going to start my shooting, like all that stuff. And right now it's just, you can't plan. And it's similar to what you just said about, you know, CP and the, in the players association and the league office, like the information I'm getting is just like, no one really knows anything. We're all yeah. sort of, we're all sort of stuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's a, I mean, I feel like Adam, if he really wanted to, I feel like he could pull some strings to move us along, but it's it's so sensitive with the PR thing. Like if he gets his hand on a lot of tests and he feels like he can move us ahead, then that's not really a good look for the league either. So it's a, it's a sensitive time right now. I th- You bring up a good point, man. And Tommy and I, we've talked about this a bunch in the last like week or so. I, and this is, I'm speaking for me, this is my opinion and you kind of just said it, but you know, I feel like there is uh there is some, some PR uh, backlash. If, all of a sudden we have access to uh, rapid testing and antibody testing. And it's, you know, whether it's daily or twice a week, just so we can play while other people don't have access to that testing. So I almost feel like the league, as much as they're waiting for the science and the data and the municipalities, there's also uh, a component of just like waiting for public sentiment to change yeah. a little bit. <laughs> if that makes exactly. sense, Tommy, you think I'm off on that? No, I think, I think you're right. And I think one of the, uh, sort of unfair, fair or unfair, you can make your own sort of decision on it. But one of the things with the timing of all of this is because the league got all of that shit back in March when the guys in the jazz got all the tests uh, and then the guys in the nets got the tests and everything like that, it makes them extra sensitive. So like, for example, Seth, I'm in LA right now. I know that all the movie studios and everything like that out here, they're all buying up thousands and thousands of tests and whether it's September or October, whenever it is, when they get back into production, like you're not stepping on foot on one of those sets without getting tested. And it's a thing that like they're just going to do because they can't just not do anything for a year and a half. But the way the the NBA kind of got bit with the, they were the first sort of like major one of these groups to start getting criticized for it. And so they got to be like a little bit more sensitive. Yeah. But I mean, it's also a, a thing where like we can lead the way and in, in kind of get in the, the the total national morale of the, the country up and like if we get back up on court and people have entertainment while they're at home that can, that kind of build up the the morale of the country as well so it's, it's a two it's a two in the sword type of thing i feel like people people want sports but they also yeah, exactly. they want they want fairness and the other component to this look is you know there is a safety issue here like this virus is a, is very much a real thing and you know as players coaches management, trainers, whoever's going to be involved on a day-to-day basis, whatever it looks like, um, you know, there has to be some, you know, level of acceptance, I think, 
that there is a potential of exposure and there's a potential risk involved. And um, I don't know. It just, I don't want to be negative. I'm not trying to be negative. I really just want to play. But at the same time, like as, as time keeps going on, like I'm getting, I'm getting less optimistic about things. Do you feel that way, Seth? Like I I was also going to ask you, are you even, are you even going to go into the practice facility when it's available? I'm thinking about it. My wife don't want me to leave the house. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I got to fight her to, to, to go in at first, but uh, I'm, I'm, I can't stay out of the gym to be honest, man. I feel like I'm going to go in personally, but um, we got to be smart about it. Cause if we go in and somebody gets infected on the team, then we're right back to square one and the season basically over. So people ask me every day, what's the, what's the um, odds you think the season's going to come back. And honestly, it's getting lower and lower for me by the, by the hour. But I'm trying to be positive, like you said. Outside of outside of playing outside, have you been spending your time at home? Me, uh, just relaxing, man. Playing with my daughter, running around with her. She's draining all my injury energy. I mean, um, I'm also streaming, playing a lot of video games, streaming on Twitch. So it's taking up a lot of time too. Just trying to figure out stuff to do at the house. Seth, I wanted to ask you um, about your shooting routine. I, I always love uh, picking the brains of of great shooters. Um, mm-hmm. I, just let's talk a little bit just about sort of your timeline in the off season. Uh, everybody's sort of a little different and some guys, you know, are in the gym right away and, and, you know, are shooting five days a week or six days a week. Um, some guys wait a little bit. I I've kind of had this routine for the last 10 years where I wait till after July 4th to pick up a basketball. I'm obviously training my body until then, but, um, I just, I like take a, a little bit of a break away from shooting and then I get back into it and it's like six days a week from there. What's your, what's your off season sort of shooting, uh, program look like? Yeah, for me, I'm, I was kind of lucky coming into the league cause I had a, a father who played in 16 years that obviously my brother played. So I was able to watch their, their schedules in the off season and kind of craft mine based on what's best for me. And I'm, I'm just like a, a junkie. I can't stay out of the gym really. So I watched Steph in his season. He'll take two months off, like not touch a basketball for two months. For me, I, I take maximum two weeks. During that two weeks, I'm trying to do some like yoga, stay off the hard workout training, really map out my workouts as I ramp up. So I get back into weight training, get back into light shooting and more movement and more movement as the, as the summer goes along. So I, I'm real meticulous in the way I, I train throughout, throughout the summer. As Towards the end of this, the summer, I'm already heading to the training camp pretty much 90, 95% of where I want to be. What are the, what are the shots that you work on in the off season? Cause like yeah. for me, for me, I, I usually have like days and I don't, I don't, it's not necessarily like on Monday, I'm going to do this on Tuesday. I'm going to do this. It's more like, well, what did I do yesterday? If yesterday I did a lot of like catch and shoot where I'm running off screens yeah. and maybe today I'll mo- do more DHOs and pick and rolls or like working on shooting against closeouts and stuff like that. But I'm trying to, I, I at least I'm trying to work on sort of every shot that I would take in, in, in a game. Yeah. For me, I'm, I come into the day trying to master one area of what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? I, I rep, rep stuff over and over, whether it's a pick and roll, mid range, pick and roll going one way. I'll do that hundred, 150 times in one workout, just trying to master it, get it down. Obviously I get my spot shots and stuff every day, but yeah, I come into a workout a week trying to master one thing and just build on that as the, as the summer goes along. One of our assistant coaches uh, put together a little video for me the other day, just in terms of creating separation on pin downs and shooting off pin downs. Uh, and he was asking me like, what are, what are the sort of your keys in, in terms of getting your shot off? And yeah. I actually said to him, 
you know, I think the biggest key, because a lot of times, you know, especially for us, we're, we're sort of undersized uh, for our position. And I think yeah, me more than you. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I think that one of the biggest keys is footwork and, and not enough people talk about like shooting off a one, two or shooting off. So I call it a clay Thompson step where you're like almost doing like a fade yeah. to the side or shooting off a hop. And you, to me, have have un- incredible footwork. And I, when I watch you play, like I, it's it's I, I kind of can do this with a lot of great shooters. But I can I can tell ninety percent of the time if your shot's going to go in based on your footwork. So how so how, how much how much do you think about that? How much do you work on that? Yeah, that's all my dad used to talk about growing up. Is he that was his thing, like coming off pin downs and and floppy actions, which you don't do as much now, but creating that contact, being physical off the ball and, and, and using your, your footwork to set up your shot. So I worked on that a lot, a lot growing up. And I tried to work on one, two footwork into my shots and hop steps into my shots. Cause like you said, being undersized, I, I don't know what kind of defender I'm have on me. I got to be quick with my release and be crafty with it. So um, if I'm in a situation in the game and, and I have to do something that is not necessarily what I want to do or comfortable, I still want to be able to make the shot. So, I got to work on all different types of releases, footworks, uh, different types of footwork and, and different types of just like side steps and step backs and those type of things to get my shot off just cause I'm, I'm six, two, I'm not six, five, six, six, like most two guard. Right. Uh, a lot of people ask me about the hop step yeah. cause I don't think it's really taught. Like if you, at least when I was growing up, you know, and we would go to even elite camps, like a Nike camp or ABCD or, or five star or something like that. Everybody taught the one, two, you know, you plant yeah. with that inside foot, you turn with that outside foot and square your body. I want to ask you when you, when do you use the hop for me? A lot of times on a pin down, it's when the ball is late. And so I'm, because I'm moving towards the defense. Now I've, I've created separation from my man. I'm moving towards the ball or moving towards the big, if he's in a drop, if I take that one, two, then I'm almost too close to get any any space. So I use that hop to sort of shoot in small spaces. Does that does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does make sense. Actually, I I'm similar. Like I feel like the hop is just quicker for me because I can really turn and get into it and get a little bit more power into my shot. You know, so I kind of dip a little bit more when I go one two, and the guy chasing me, so it's like a little bit slower. But I mean, like I said, I gotta have both because I'm I'm in situations where I I don't really think about what I want to do coming off to. I just gotta do whatever I feel is natural in that moment. And if, if I haven't worked on the, the hop or the one, two in in the past week or whatever the case, it's not gonna be comfortable out there when I have to do it. So I want to have everything. You obviously are in a, um, a shooting royalty family, um, yeah. with, with your pops and, and your brother. When did you sort of realize, uh, that you were a great shooter? And by the way, uh, this doesn't probably get talked about enough. Although it's it started to be talked about on some of the national broadcasts in the last couple of weeks of the regular season, but uh, you are, I think, second all time in career <laughs> three point percentage, yeah, uh, which is pretty good. But when when did you realize that that you were an elite shooter? I mean, I've always known I was a good shooter since you know what I'm saying a young, probably middle school area. I always knew I could shoot the ball. It was just developing other parts of my game, you know, just having my dad be around and shoot, shoot against him. We used to go in actually to his practices in Toronto when I think I was in like sixth grade, that was in eighth grade. And they used to let us hop in some of the 
the little drills at the end of the game with it, or in the practice, I mean, when they would be shooting like one half the team would be on one elbow, the other be on the other elbow. And say you rotate and, and shoot and shoot, and we would jump in and we would be some of the best shooters in there at, at nine, ten years old. So, I mean, I knew from a young age I was a pretty good shooter. I, I, it's it's kind of in the blood, you know. Obviously, you gotta you gotta work on it and craft it, but I mean, I was kind of just handed down. All right, we're gonna play a little exercise here. So, let's say you're in a shooting game, five shooters aside. Yeah. Three of your shooters are you and your two family members. Who are your other two shooters that you want to go go with? A lot of money on the line on this on the shooting game too. One's gonna be um Ray Allen for sure. Okay. Give me, give me Ray Allen. I'm I'm robbing JJ Reddick, you know. That's <laughs> that's my that was my guy growing up in, in Tobacco Road, man. You know, uh, when I when I went into Duke and went on my visit, I think Coach knew he pulled me into the video room and he had the the JJ Reddick senior highlight tape video oh, yeah. playing and, and and it hooked me in from, from there. How did you said? How did you end up at Duke? Like, walk us through that process. Uh, I mean, obviously, I went to Liberty. I went highly recruited coming to high school. I was a late bloomer, so I actually committed my junior year of high school, and then I kind of blew up my senior year, and I had a lot of offers, but I wanted to stay stay loyal to my commitment to Liberty. And just after my freshman year, I led the nation in scoring. It just wasn't the right level for me. I wanted. I feel like I wasn't getting better at the right rate to where I wanted to play in the NBA. I transferred, and I could have pretty much went anywhere I wanted. I mean, I went on a few visits, went to went to Duke, and like the system would fit me. He, like I said, he showed me the JJ Reddick tapes, the Trajan Langdon tapes of guys who he felt like similar to my game and how he could fit into the system. And I mean, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. What was uh, what was your experience at Duke like? I, I obviously had a great experience. I think one of the the things that's great about playing for Coach K, if you're one of the best players. He just, he just rides you. You know what I mean? Yeah. He just like, he just goes to you all the time. For sure. Whereas if you're not one of those two or three guys, it can, I guess it can probably be a little frustrating at times. There's not yeah. necessarily like a socialistic approach of like equal uh, disbursement of nah. shots with at Duke. It's, it's really just like, no, the two or three best guys are going to take the shots and everybody else sort of gets putbacks and, and scraps. Yeah. Coach, he, he's all about winning. So he's, He's tailoring his system and what he's doing that year to what his team is built like that year. So his, his two or three best players, like you said, my first two years, I was one of those guys. I was, a, I was just a floor spacer getting in where I fit in. And then my last two years, that was my role. So he was, he was coming to me over and over and over, like you said. And I mean, he's tough. Like, like you said, it's all, it's all about winning there, man. And he's going and he's going to let you know that every single day, but the day I left to, to now, I always, think back on things I learned at Duke. I remember watching you your last year there. Um, and he had, he had pulled a lot of my old plays yeah. out for you, <laughs> including there was this one play where we just got like an Iverson cut over to one of the sides and almost uh-huh. got, it was like basically an ISO, you know, he, he was so good at teaching the drive away baseline. Yeah. So you had that whole side cleared out. And I and you you would just get that one two like jab right, go baseline left pull up, you know it's it's interesting to to watch that and you know go back and watch some clips of when I was at at, at school and you know obviously I get labeled as a spot up shooter, yeah. but you know it's it's uh, it's interesting because coach really I think does an incredible job just of maximizing uh, maximizing talent like he really he brings out the best in each guy. 
Now that's funny because you say thinking back to some of those plays he put in when he was putting them in. I used to like because I'm just a, a mental. I remember things and I, I study the game or whatever. So I used to put the plays in. I'd be like, "Yo, this is this is a JJ play right here, huh?" I, I walk <laughs> over to CC and be like, "Yo, this is this is a JJ play, huh?" Or what would you be like? Oh, this is my man, this Trader used to run this right. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know. So it was just cool just to be able to be in those situations of running plays and just stuff I watched as a kid growing up. JJ, when you were getting recruited, who was who was the you for you and Seth's story? Oh, it was it was Trajan Langdon for sure. I had a I had a poster of Tra- Trajan Langdon on my wall all throughout high school, starting in like probably eighth grade. You know, obviously Trajan is is my GM now. Uh, I've oh, known yeah. him going back to when I was in college. You know, he came back. I think this was either the summer between my sophomore and junior year, junior and senior year. And coach was like, "Hey, will you will you go in my office and talk to Trajan? Just you know, let him let him chat with you for a bit." I was like, "Yeah, sure." We ended up standing there for like three and a half hours and just talked hoops and talked life. And he gave me obviously great advice. You know, as he's grown in his role in, in, in different front offices, we've stayed in touch and always said hi to each other. I always say this, but it, Seth, you could back me up on this. Like the brotherhood, we talk about the Duke brotherhood of basketball players, but it, it is a it is a very real thing. For sure. I mean, everywhere you go, especially in the league now, everywhere you go, it's a it's a Duke guy um, on one of the teams or a couple of them now. It used to be like that with Carolina too, but it's kind of dipped off in the past few years. You go through a lot of the same things. I think one of the things is obviously all of us play for the same coach. So you've been through the same trials and tribulations and, and you know what it's like to, to get to where you are. So it's definitely a brotherhood. How much of it is the hate too? Like all the shit you get. Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, it's it's kind of the, the cool thing to say I hate Duke now. Like people say they hate Duke for absolutely no reason on some of the teams I've been on. It's like you didn't you didn't even play Duke. You never matched up against them. I don't understand why it's the cool thing, but I mean, you love us or hate us. I w- I was informed the other day that JJ is hated in the state of North Carolina, but by, by multiple you, you told me multiple people <laughs> have told me that in the state that he that he played college basketball and that he spent a lot of his life and he is hated. But but listen. Duke, North Carolina is a obviously a UNC state. So growing up in and Charlotte. And NC State. And NC State, too. NC State, yeah. So growing up in Charlotte, I had yeah. family members who love Carolina. You know what I'm saying? My best friends love Carolina. I go to Duke. And if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, I like you, but I hate Duke, it'd be, it's, it's crazy. So, I mean, that's, that's Duke. I mean, JJ being a guy he is, he's not going to be liked in the state of North Carolina for the most part. I mostly got, um, I like Duke, but I hate you. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of that. No, I always tell like there were times where we would, and I, we we didn't lose much when I was in school, but you know we we lost I think twenty three games or something like that in four years. And like you know, you go in the next morning before class to uh, to the to you know get a bagel or something from the cafeteria. The person who is behind the counter. You know, as you're sort of checking out and, and paying with your 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 Duke student card, she starts talking shit about oh. us losing. <laughs> I'm like, you're on Duke's campus. You you, yeah. you know, like what? I mean, it's That's just it's it's about, amazing to me about college. Like, it felt like every time you lost, it was the end of the world. Oh, so just that that transition to the league where you lose and you got another game the, the next night and you got to just move on from it. It's it's different. My rookie year, Brian Hill was our coach. And, and I'm used to, look, I'm used to Coach K, who's just, as you said, super intense every day, just trying to get the most out of it, trying to win every game. Everything is is some sort of, you know, life lesson. 
and uh, and we start the season and, and we get up there game one, and he he said he writes out like the next five games, whatever the next five games were, he writes them out on the board, and he's like, I'm going to keep track. We're going to look at every five game segment. We yeah. got to win three out of five to make the playoffs. And I'm like. <laughs> Oh, so it's cool if we lose two? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Like, I didn't, that, I didn't that just to, is like... Yeah, when I left, I didn't know how to act getting on the bus after a loss. Like, you couldn't... You didn't really... If you lost a game, you didn't talk until the next practice, it felt like. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> dudes were losing and, and be laughing getting on the bus. It was, it was an adjustment. God forbid you lose two games in a row at Duke. Oh, no. That's because that, that... The way college works, I mean, that, that could be like eight or nine days yeah. of fucking hell. You knew just, going into that next practice, it was going to be real. Yeah. Did you guys ever get your jerseys and practice stuff in the locker room all thrown, taken out of your locker and thrown into the middle of the locker room? It happened to me twice in my three years <laughs> of Duke. It happened to me twice. We had we go in the locker room and they got little pennies on our on our chairs. Just that's what we're practicing in. We don't we don't deserve to wear the, the Duke uniform right now. Where'd they get the pennies? Walmart. Probably. That's what it felt like. <laughs> That's it wild. Was, yeah. Seth, have you been, uh, you know, go ahead. If you want to keep that, I want to talk about Jordan. Oh, okay. The doc. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Seth, have you been watching the doc? Yeah, of course. What are your, uh, what, what should be, what's been your favorite part so far? I mean, I know most of it. You know what I'm saying? Just being around the league. I know most of the story, but probably my, my favorite part is just the, obviously the behind the scenes look at, at Jordan every day and the way he interacted with his teammates and behind the scenes. Like I said, you know, you don't really get the inside look at Jordan and being, he's not on social media like, like everybody else is nowadays. So you don't, you don't really know his personality as much. And it's, it's, it's just cool to get to see it. I had this question. This is for both of you. Do you think this could exist with anybody else ever with, with like the level of social media and just sort of like, like, like think about how much we know about you and staff or how much we know about LeBron already. There's not going to be the same level of just peek behind the curtain just sort of naturally because of this sort of sharing process that we have as a society. Yeah. I don't think it's, it'd be this kind of hype obviously with the, with being Jordan and behind the scenes, but I think any type of documentary where you get behind the scenes access to a, a high profile player or a team like that, it'll be watchable and, and good TV for sure. Tommy, are you going to watch the, uh, the Quibi doc blackballed that's coming out about the Clippers, about the Clippers. I, I'm going to download Quibi to watch it, and then I'm going to delete Quibi. What came out today? Monday. It's the 11th, right? I think it's the 11th. It's coming out soon, yeah. I think it's coming out Monday. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll be watching it with my wife being who she is. So it's going to be on oh, the yeah, TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, uh, that was an interesting time is it, for is sure. It just, is it just about Sterling? Yeah, so I think it just kind of focuses on the Sterling thing. And then I guess I assume it's everything leading up. So CJ, Chris's brother sent me the episodes like two nights ago. I just haven't had a chance chance to watch. Uh, to answer your question, though, like D-Wade came out the other day when he was talking about the 08 uh, Redeem Team doc that he's working on. Yeah. And that was like just on the cusp of like pre-social media. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of stuff in that that maybe we haven't seen before. But I do think to really like peel back the curtain now like you have to show an incredible amount of vulnerability because everything is documented now everything is documented and everything lives on the internet but what do you honestly you think we're getting something we didn't know from this documentary i so i haven't watched episodes five and six we're recording this on on wednesday so I'm, i'm a few days behind but 
you know, in the first four, like I did not live through like 85 through 89, 90. So that was all sort of like new to me. I don't, I didn't remember the 1990 Eastern conference finals, them losing to the Pistons in game seven. Like I didn't remember any of that. Everything past that I lived through, I watched it, you know, as a kid. And as to your point, like you were, you were basically there for, for a lot of that. Yeah, I was young, young. I mean, I was. Yeah, you were young. You were born in ninety. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I was young, but I was around, and my dad was around, and uh, and I watched every other Jordan documentary. So it's not really, like I said, it's, it's more about the behind the scenes look. Yeah, I, I I I totally agree. I think one of the one of the moments from this past weekend's episode that really resonated with people online was just the scene of him with the security guard where they were just flipping quarters and it was like nothing. There's nothing controversial there. There was nothing that was at the time they would have thought was particularly memorable, but like we as fans don't have, we've never had a visual like that. Like we've never seen him shooting the shit with people in that way versus, you know, I think now there's, there's cameras everywhere all the time. We've seen, we've seen everybody have these interactions. One of the questions I was going to ask you about is you know, just playing with Luca and I'm playing with Zion right now. And it seems like the amount of attention now these guys are getting, it's, it's unprecedented. And these guys are 19, 20 years old. I mean, if I do a media session and I get five questions, four of them are about Zion every time. Yeah. Like without a doubt. And it's, it's almost surreal at times just being their teammate. Yeah, but I mean, they're in the age where they're built for it. They grew up in it. So like, it's it's no, like if they weren't getting that attention, they feel like they're doing something wrong. You know what I'm saying? I go about my business and I just want to go home at the end of the day. I, I know I know whether I had a good game or not. They need that attention and they're going home and, and posting their highlights on IG and and on Twitter and, and reposting stuff. So I think, you know what I'm saying? They grew up in it, they're built for it. And, and that, that kind of gets their juices flowing. I guess for me, I had a problem with that because I didn't yeah. realize that was a thing. Like people posting their own yeah. highlights, reposting the highlights. Yeah, when I saw people, yeah. young guys doing it, I'm like, yo, y'all doing but too it's much. Th- but. It's just the thing now. Like exactly. it's and 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 you brought up uh, Coach Collins, Chris Collins from from Duke. Um, but I remember him telling me this maybe like six or seven years ago as they started recruiting kids that had been on social media now for you know two or three years where even they were at 15 16 years old and they would get them on these recruiting visits and and the kids would ask them like well how are you going to help me build my brand yeah you know and and like (laughs) that that was that wasn't on my radar like yeah they used to hate that yeah yeah they used to hate it but look times have changed you gotta you gotta evolve at some point i mean i think i've even thrown up at least one fit pick on my instagram story and potentially I maybe I maybe two highlights, maybe yeah, two. Hey, just keep hey man, just just keep growing, man. Keep getting fresh. <laughs> yeah, and people can go to the game looking good, fresh. Take some pictures and still be locked in that night, bro. You can do both. What's what's the absolute not acceptable to post on social media ever? It's not much these days, man. What Jamal Murray did. <laughs> oh yeah, that's one of the few. That's one of the few. <laughs> there's a, there's a few. <laughs> Uh, JJ, oh, Seth, JJ, JJ got in trouble on this show a couple months ago because he said that, and I'm going to misquote him a little bit, but he basically said that some guys in the league care more about walking into the pregame tunnel than they do about the game. That's the thing. Like people, that's part of building your brand these days. Guys want to get those pictures and as they walk in for the, 
for the Instagram after the game. And I think, I mean, it's, it's a couple of times where you can get your, get your fit off walking in and still be locked in at night for the game. So um, that's just the age we're in. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't have a problem if Russell Westbrook wants to do it because he's yeah. a monster and he plays every night. I don't have a problem with that. Luca, Luca comes in with some nice fits. He's always, he's always dressed well. You know, they got you that got one shot with, of you him. You got a problem with the guys that are worried about when they come in and when they step on the floor, they're still worrying about what they're looking like, stuff like that. Yeah. The guys, the guys that are tweeting out their pregame fits <laughs> pregame. Like I'm yeah. like, okay, that's, can you at least wait to like after the game? Yeah. Jeez, dude. Oh man. No, it's, 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 it's different, man. We, we evolve, but I like, I like, I like your perspective. We evolve. We evolve. I want to, I want to go back to when you were coming out of Duke, you were going through the pre-draft process and the feedback you were getting and what your sort of expectations were for your professional career. Yeah, for me, uh, so I had surgery right after my senior year and I wasn't able to, to work out and stuff during the pre-draft process. I was basically just going into meetings. So that's all I heard was who, what I was, what they expected of me at the next level. I'm saying I wasn't able to go out there and compete with the guys that were in that draft class and showing who I thought I was. So for me, they were saying, obviously, they thought I was just a spot-up, standstill shooter. Some people were telling me I needed to change this into a point guard, handle the ball more, make plays for my teammates, stuff like that. But I feel like I could, I could show a little bit more than what I showed at college as far as create my own shot off the dribble. And and, and obviously, I was, my game is built on my shooting. So that's why I got to bring shooter at a high clip. But um, for me, I was just trying to master every part of the game offensively. And, and just figure it out as I go. You know, that's one of the best things about me is I'm able to adapt depending on what team I'm, I'm on. So for me, I was just yeah, about going out there and competing and figuring it out. You spent two years in the G League, right? Coming out? Yeah, two. So my, my first year, I got a, like three call-ups. Never really got on the floor. My second year, I got one call-up. Didn't get on the floor in, in any situation where I had 10 days or, or call-ups from the G League. And I just had to wait my turn to get an actual opportunity at the NBA level. Can you describe... <laughs> Uh, obviously there's some, some probably stark differences, but can you just describe the G league experience versus the NBA experience and how different that is? It, it was, it was rough when I was there for the, like, it's, I feel like they crafted in a, in a sense to where they don't want you to get comfortable. It's not like you're, you're there for extended period of time. You know what I'm saying? you go there, it, it, the travel is is nuts. You're getting on five six a.m. flights, playing some back to backs, commercial flights. You know, busing six seven hours at times, playing in front of a hundred fans or you know what I'm saying a thousand fans maybe. So you just got to really love the game when you're at that level. And for me, I, I was having fun because I was playing forty minutes a night. I had the ball in my hands the whole time. And I was just figuring it out. But obviously, I wanted to, to get that shot at the NBA level. Do you do you remember the turning point in your NBA career? where you felt like you belong? Yeah, for sure. I was in Sacramento. So I first got my guaranteed deal in Sacramento in 2014, 15, something like that. And we were out of the playoffs. So that was, we were out of the playoffs and guys were resting, kind of tanking it. I mean, they put the young guys out there for extended minutes throughout the past last like 20, 25 games of the season. And I just had a like a 20 game stretch where I was making everything. It felt like I was figuring it out and that's the biggest thing. It's about being consistent and doing it over a long, long stretch of games. You know what I'm saying? Everybody can have a, a game here, there, and then and fall back off. So it's about finding that consistent thing, what I could do every single night on the floor. Do you remember February 26, 2016 against the Clippers? I do. I do remember that. That was a, that was a fun <laughs> night, too. I remember that. Yeah. One. <laughs> I think I started that game. 
You yeah, you had 19 that game. First of all, I was always rooting for you, you know, because because you know, grew up in Tobacco Road and and uh your your pops is from my you know, my part of the state in Virginia. You went to Duke, and I'm like, this motherfucker's an NBA player. I had no idea you were that good until <laughs> that night. I was like, this guy's an NBA player. And, I was uh, and obviously you had a, a couple couple other huge games after that, but you you were that was like that was the first time where I was like, "Oh, this guy can really play." I like, I hope he gets a real shot. Yeah, that was doing that stretch. Like, you gotta as an undrafted guy, you gotta get lucky. Like, you gotta get in a situation where you get a chance, but then you get lucky to get out there and get some minutes to show actually what you can do. Because there's no really any incentive for a team to, to give you a shot if they didn't draft you. You know what I'm saying? If they didn't give you any really guaranteed money or that sense. So, kind of got lucky with the with the situation I was in in Sacramento where we were out of the playoffs and. And there, there were some minutes for me there, and I just made the most of it. Why do you think it clicked for you in Portland? Uh, I mean, it was it was a good good situation for me. It was a good role for me. We had a, a veteran team last year in Portland where everybody knew their roles. Like I said, it was my job to come in off the bench and just shoot the ball and score when I could. So um, we were playing winning basketball, and and we were doing it on a high stage every night. So I was, that was probably the best year I've had, just fun wise, being on the team so far in my career. Was it was it weird guarding Steph in the Western Conference Finals? <laughs> it's the only Steph question I got, man. It's the only yeah. Steph question I got. That's <laughs> nah, all good. It's always weird, bro. Like it's no matter it what. It's always weird. Yeah. Watching just watching him play throughout the season, I'm rooting for him. I want the Warriors to win. I want him to play well. But we get out there on the floor and I'm guarding him. I kind of know. I know his game. I know. I know what he's comfortable. What he likes to do. And they put me on him, so I'm. It's my job to go out there and make it make it rough for him. So it, it's it was it's weird playing against him every night, every time we play. But I mean, it's, it's special because the NBA loves it, the fans love it, and and the family has a good time with it. It's funny with the brothers. We had Lonzo on a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this with Lamelo, and then we were talking about it with Drew with Drew too. It's like there's thirty thousand people in the arena, but you guys, it's like you're back in the backyard. Like you yeah, know we, everything he's gonna do. Yeah, we've been competing our whole life. Like we were on the same high school team uh, for a year, and we used to go at it in practice. And we had a few fights. It's, it don't get to that level anymore when we're working out or when we're playing one on one in the summers. But it's it's a different level of of edge and competitiveness when we're battling each other. Who do you, who is the better shooter? Oh, me. No oh, question. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> what 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 about pops? What about pops? Pops can still shoot it. He can, he can still shoot that. Like that's like riding a bike to him, man. He, he's not gonna run around. He's not gonna move. He's not gonna chase his rebounds anymore. But if, if you spot him up out there and play horse, he's gonna he's gonna knock him down. Do you ever do you ever ask your dad? Do you ever ask Dell like who was the best player he ever played against? Is it is it anybody but Jordan? No, nah, those guys have a thing with Jordan. Like that played against them, like. You ask them about Jordan, they there's nobody else they're gonna mention outside of MJ. That's interesting. Especially I think about the, the, that's that was yeah. his matchup when he had, when, at the two guard. He had to when he came in, he had to guard him. MJ was guarding him, so he knows all about it. I feel like the the peers and the people you grew up watching, and then the people you grew you you play against when you get to the highest level, influence your opinion of who the greatest is. I know for a long time for me, like I'm. I grew up watching MJ, but I'm always, I've always been like, you know, LeBron is the best. LeBron is the best. There was probably a stretch where guys were like, Kobe's the best or Larry's the best or, you know, magic's the best Shaq, Mm -hmm. whoever. But, um, 
You know, I, I do think we, you know, there's this whole fucking debate on social media about like who, who is the best and something will happen in the Jordan doc and they'll be like, well, LeBron didn't do this or whatever, you know? And it's just like, <laughs> I, I feel like we should just, we should just all appreciate greatness for what it is. That's all you got to do is appreciate it, man. People are looking for things in the Jordan documentary to compare it to LeBron. Like you said, like they're looking for little slice on MJ when he, when he talks to a teammate so they can tweet about it and say, LeBron would never do this to one of his teammates or something like that. So it's like I said, just appreciate it, man. Everybody had their time. Everybody's great. And just watching the joy. You know what I'm saying? Did you appreciate the fact that Isaiah and MJ have not come close to chilling any of the <laughs> stuff over the last 20 years? That, that might've been my favorite part so far. Seeing MJ, he didn't even want to watch. He didn't want to look at Isaiah, man. It was funny. But nothing has changed. Nothing. Do you hate anybody? You don't have to name names, but do you hate anybody in the league right now? Like on that I, level? I don't. I don't. I haven't, I haven't gotten to that level yet. I mean, if you have enough playoff battles with certain guys and, you know what I'm saying, when you're in that intense type of moments, you you have some, some animosity to a couple of players, but I'm just not there yet with anybody. What about you? You got anybody you, got anybody you, you strongly dislike in the league right now? There's one guy for sure. Uh, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy knows who he is. <laughs> Tommy knows who he is. I'm not going to put him on blast. Uh, uh, and then there was a couple guys like early in my career that just just picked on me uh, ruthlessly. So I just I, I kind of held a grudge. Yeah, some that, guys but. I know when I when I'm guarding them and if I foul them or something, they're going. It's it's going to be a little quick thing before it gets separated yeah. a couple times. But yeah, I mean, if I see him in the streets or whatever, it's, it's all good. When you Seth, when you came into the league, either in in SAC or I guess even in Portland, did any of the uh, vets like fuck with you at all? For me, is like I was in a weird situation because I was by the time I got settled in the league, I was two three years out of college, so I wasn't really like necessarily a rookie anymore. You know what I'm saying? I got to the teams and everybody knew who I was. You know what I'm saying? I was a little bit older, so I, I didn't have the normal rookie duties of most guys that come into the league. We found out on the show a couple of weeks ago that. JJ, explain what happened to you because he said it at the thing in the shower that we were talking about with Drew. He said this oh. thing. He said this thing like super nonchalantly as if it was just like a normal Wednesday. And we were looking around being like, that's crazy that they did that. I mean, he got locked in the shower. They taped him in the shower or something. My rookie year, I got the bus times wrong early in the season in Miami. So mm-hmm. I thought it was like a 930 bus and it was a nine o'clock bus. So Keith Bogans called me. I'm sitting in my bed. I'm in my practice gear, just watching the television. He calls me at like, you know, whatever, 902. He's like, yo, where you at? And I'm like, I'm in my room. What's up? He's like, the bus just left. So I was like, fuck. So I had to take a taxi. (laughs) I even beat the team there. I got, I got to the arena before the team, but I got fined for that. And then I, I was, I was late. I was significantly late, not like five minutes late, but like an hour late to practice two other times. So this, the second time it happened, they said to me, you've got to, you know, you've got to apologize to the team. And this is after practice. So we're all in the locker oh. room. We're all dressed. We all have clothes on. And I, they're like, sit in this chair in front of the team and apologize. So I, I sat down in the chair. And as soon as I started talking, like three guys came up and they just held me down and they duct taped me to the chair and then rolled yeah. me in the, uh, <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> and I was in there for a long time. Yeah, I was in there for a long time. Yeah, man. I don't That'll probably be all over the new Twitter and all that. If somebody did that these days. Yeah, you're probably right on the cusp. You're probably right on the cusp of that level of of rookie humiliation. You can't do that anymore. Well, the part that you said, which you're leaving out of the story now, is like it's one thing for them to do that to you. They like left you in there, and no one came for you for like a long time. It was a long time. Jay Bird. 
They left. Everybody left. Yeah, Everybody yeah. left. I was in a cold shower, just water <laughs> running on me. But I mean, I mean, I was safe. I was safe. Yeah. Like I'm not. I'm not yeah. making fun of. Like I'm not making light of hazing here or anything like that. Like the worst that happens now. Like we always talk about this, but like the worst that happens now is you got to wear the backpack. You got to wear like yeah, a Hello backpack, Kitty backpack. Popcorn. popcorn in the car. Yeah. Um, the problem with Zion is, you know, the guy really doesn't drive a car. You know, so like we wanted to popcorn his car. But like, you got a lot of money though, so you can, you can leave <laughs> with those big bills and not feel bad. That's true. That's true. All right, Seth, I appreciate the time, man. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, it's it's fun. good, to, good to catch up, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'll see you on the court very soon, man. Yeah, for sure, man. Keep doing your thing with the podcast, man. It's a lot All of right. fun. Later, man. Stay safe.